Welcome to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. I'm John Sierra Reineker, and I'm going to be your host on today's episode. Today, we're talking with Vice President and General Manager of Urban Inspirational Music at E1, Gina Miller. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jessica. I'm so glad to be here with you today. I'm so excited to have I'm you here. To, I am. Thank it's going to be a good time. Can't okay, wait. so let's start here. Let's start at the beginning. Tell me about your role as Vice President and General Manager of Urban Inspirational Music at E1. What are your daily responsibilities? Managing expectation. <laughs> job that's it next question no, right. no, no, no. well you know that that really is a big part of the job people think it's like this glamorous glitzy thing you know expectations are yeah. very difficult yeah to manage because everyone has their own yeah and trying to get everyone to see it the way i see it yeah. can sometimes be difficult yeah. that's a big important. part because everyone's important <laughs> everyone wants the, what they want and that's okay like i respectfully I'm okay with everyone wanting not just what they want, but the perceived value that they bring to the table. And sometimes that brings its own set of things that we have to sit down and educate and discuss and work through really what is, is it accurate and not of an assessment for where we are. And so and that's, that's a good part of the job. Um, but the fun parts that everybody thinks are the glitzy parts include really just management from top up to top down, as far as it relates to our division and the artists, from signings to budgets, you know, those parts that no one wants to talk about. Um, I oversee an incredible team that does all the produ- the promotions, uh, marketing, and really everything to get the product from inception to marketplace and everything in between. So we handle all of that, and I kind of oversee all the trains running, make sure we're on time, and on budget. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you talked a little bit just now about some of the things that you enjoy about your position, but what would be the number one thing that you enjoy about your role with E1? I think the number one thing is that we don't do just, you know, with every individual artist, there's the opportunity to have different types of music. They all have a different style. They all have their own sound. They all have their own approach. They all have their own fan base. And I think that being able to wake up every day and relive the same kind of work that ends up really just developing something different every single time, helping them meet their goals, supporting their idea of who they are and where they're trying to go, and getting some, you know, the the wins that we count as wins and the successes around that process just send me to the moon every single time. It's like brand new every day, all over again. Every time we get a chance to do it and bring new music to the world, it's like what a gift it is to be able to be a part of this part of it where we can be hold hands with them, provide whatever it is that they need to make sure that that music gets where it's supposed to be. And to hear people singing it, you know, talking about their favorite songs and responding when they're on platforms, performing it, those are the moments that you go, yeah, this is why it's worth it. So quick question. Is there any song that one of the artists on your roster has done that has just blown up and super successful where you're like, oh my gosh, like I was a part of it. Like I've got to see that song from inception to now. That really inspires you. Well, I tell you what, we're fortunate enough to have had a few of those songs. <laughs> Praise God, thank you. But I would say one of the things that was one of the sp- special songs, one of my earlier songs that we started at the very beginning of that song, and I was working radio at the time, and to watch that song go from 
you know, where it started to a number one song and maybe arguably one of the most loved songs of this decade would be um, William McDowell's I Give Myself Away. I believe that that was one of the songs that just resonated with people. People were emotionally attached to the song. And it's lived in, I mean, there was probably a time where we couldn't go in church and not hear that song being sung. We took the song outside of church. It was being sung. People just, it's just a life-changing song. And even for me personally, I felt like, and I've told him this, that if there was ever a song that I felt pinned what I believed my life represented too, it was that nature of that song. I grew up in a, you know, environment with my mom where my mom was like, this life of yours is not yours and it's not about you. And you have to be in a position to serve and give it away. Like whatever gifts you believe you have are really supposed to be used outside of yourself. That's kind of the gift of the song. And so I, I do say that to this date, that still was a very special time for me. But we've had a lot of others since then, yeah. but that's one that's right here in the forefront of my mind when you ask. Cool. So let's backtrack a bit and talk okay. about your roots. What led you to pursue a career in the music industry? Well, so my mom was our church pianist. And growing up in our house, my grandmother lived with us. My mother's mother lived in our house, and she taught all of them. My mom had 10 sisters and brothers. She taught them all to play piano. My father's mom lived about 10 minutes away across town, but she also played the piano. (laughs) Now, my grandmother played with really a very classical, you know, ragtime style was the way she was taught. And so everything consequently sounded like Scott Joplin. You know, that was just her style of playing. My grandmother was born in 1902. And so my father's mother was very different life that they had. My grandmother grew up in Mississippi, and her music sounded like juke joint. I don't care what she played. It sounded like we were at the club, where's the whiskey, smoking the air, you know, doing the the bugaboo, whatever that dance was. And so it was just a very different way, but... I feel like I have been able to infuse the best parts of both of them. My mother actually did not teach me to play the piano. I was taken to a lady. I was at a church event one day, and, you know, the neighborhood piano teacher was there. And she talked to my mom and said, she's ready. I think I was playing around the piano. My mother probably was like, no, she's not ready, you know, (laughs) because she could have taught me. No, my mother could have taught me. We had two pianos in my mother's house. And that lady said, bring her to me. And that lady was Miss Elmertha Cole, and I was probably about five or six years old. And I started taking piano from her, and I took it from her until her death when I was in middle school. And from there, um, at the time of her passing, I started lessons with another person, and he, Mr. Eddie Pryor, was my teacher all the way through high school. I left high school. I took piano all the way through college. And so, it, you know, that's kind of where it started. I was in band from seventh grade through college. And the music thing just became more and more and more apparent with every step, with every year, you know, that I was eating up with it, all kinds of music. I love jazz. I love classical music. I love, I mean, I love, I just love music. So what I was going to do with it, I thought, was be a performer. I thought I was going to be a performer <laughs> on stage is what I thought was going to happen. And, and even at the point when I thought, well, what do you do if that doesn't work out well? Well, I have a music license, too, to teach music. So I'm like, I'm good between these two. <laughs> well, I talked for a little bit. I talked just enough to realize that 
that's probably not what my whole purpose in life is. I have a whole family of teachers. I think educators are the most incredible mm-hmm. people. We need every one of them, and they're not valued enough. But I thought, what can I? What else is there that I'm supposed to be doing? So it was through that process of thinking, like, how I got there is one thing, but I knew that there was something else that I was supposed to do, and I knew it involved music. Got it. So now I know you talked a little bit about, you know, obviously being a musician, but you also have vocal talent as well. Zach, where you can sing. I, I, I do a little yeah, singing. You do a little singing. singing. So I now why singing. why didn't you ever pursue that? <sighs> deep breath, deep breath, <laughs> deep breath. I don't know because it's so funny. My father on his deathbed said to me, you should audition for American Idol. He did. He was like... You would beat everybody out, but that's what daddy's supposed to say. <laughs> what I know now is people would have you doing stuff that you were not supposed to be doing because you were just good at it. It's just right. not enough to be just good at right. something. It's not. I think that that's so honorable. I love the fact that he could still be that person for me as almost an adult, you know, that part of my life that was still the same daddy. That, you know, I was a daddy. The same guy that told me how beautiful I was at six when I probably was looking really crazy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so... I think what ended up happening, just life happened. That one thing led to another, and I just felt like, okay, perhaps this is not going to be the route. But what are we going to do? You know, and what is it going to look like? And what I will say is that looking back on all of that to now, I needed every part of that belief. I needed every part of that dream. I needed every part of that education. I needed every part of every lesson that I took to, to learn how to make my voice do what it could do. I needed every disappointment for my voice. I needed all of that to help me understand the work that we do with our artists every single day. I have not wasted one bit of that part of my life in the work that I get to do now. And I think that that's the thing that I'm really grateful that I had those experiences because I can relate to the, my throat's not feeling the best today, or I need to wrap up and protect, you know, and sometimes it looks like they're being overly whatever, and I'm like, no, that's that. It's, it's care. It's an instrument. Your voice is an instrument. It's not like plugging in a keyboard. You can, this is attached to you at all times. Yeah. If you open it, it's working. Right. And so whether that's speaking or singing or whatever, it's like you have to take care of it. So I think all those things, you know, from stage fright, from even just some vocal health challenges. I mean, I've been experiencing some challenges vocally with my throat for like the last few years. So when you have artists who are dealing with those things, you understand it may not be an excuse. This really may be reality, but you can have a certain level of compassion because yeah. I understand it. Right. And I would imagine, you know, definitely going the executive route, in a way, it's a little bit less pressure than going the artist route. Girl, you still know. have a lot to work on. I don't but... know. <laughs> I don't know, but I will say this. Looking at what I do now and watching them, I'm going to stay in my chair. Right. <laughs> I can sing now when I want to sing. People yeah. call me to do funerals and weddings, and I'm good. Just yeah, I promise. The pressure of what the industry has created for artists to be successful, and even the, just the things that we create for ourselves, even. Sometimes we're worse than the, the establishment, you know. Um, I just think that, well, first of all, I still... I'm probably a little more introvert than I was in my earlier years. <laughs> and I still get stage fright singing in front of people who I've known for all my whole life. I still get stage fright talking. I'm scared to death now talking. No. But I still, but I, I do. When people are watching, like, I still yeah. go through that yeah. torment every single time, giving speeches, singing, yeah. whatever it is. So, no, I'm I'm really good on that. <laughs> on that. <laughs> 
So let's talk about how you got your start in the music industry. Mm-hmm. What was your official like introduction into it? Okay, it was one of those stories, you know. I met somebody who knew somebody. So the man that I actually met was the CEO at the time of the record label. And I knew he was somebody because, and I was like, the rest of us are driving Camrys in this parking lot. Every time I see this guy, he's like in a great car. Like he was driving a Porsche at the time. So I was like, what do you do? And he told me, he was like, well, I'm the CEO of a record label. Well, what label? And he told me, and he told me some of the artists on the label, and he was like, you know them? I said, do I know them? Those are the artists that I love. And I teach to everyone, you know, I play their music. And so he's like, really? I said, yeah. I said, hey, you got some jobs up there, you know? <laughs> he's like, no, I don't think so, but I don't do the hiring. We have a president over the division, and he does the hiring. I'm like, well, hook your, hook your girl up, you know? <laughs> so he was like, okay, what I'll do, I'll make the introduction, but I don't do hiring, and I don't know. I was like, fair enough. Just make the intro. I got it from that. <laughs> he made the intro. They didn't have any jobs available. So I asked, could I just come in every day and volunteer and just work and hang out and insert myself to see what it is I could learn? Could I offer my service? Could I do anything to make anybody's job lighter, better, brighter, you know? And as it turned out, I did that Johnson Air for a year for free. Wow. And I walked in there every day as if I was getting paid as much as anybody else in that place. And I gave it everything I knew to give. The things that I didn't know, I went home and Google was my friend. And I would come back the next day, like no one knew none the wiser until I learned everything that I needed to know for that time. And so at the end of that year, they offered me a part-time job. And from there, that's pretty much it. I moved around throughout our whole label in various capacities, and so here we are. And I love that you just shared that story because I find that even with me connecting with aspiring music professionals, people don't really understand the importance of internship. They feel entitled, (laughs) like everything should be handed to them, so I love that you shared that. Well, I think even more than internship, probably an even better word would be the, the value and power of service. Yeah, Servitude, I think, is still the solution. It's still a big solution for a lot of things. And we're such a culture of what can I get, what can you give me, that even now I still have some moments where I text friends, I text artists, I text whomever. I'm like, what can I do for you today that could help you? Where you if you could give me three things, what would they look like? And I think we don't, we, we just don't have the mindset that says, maybe I have to work in a different way to get where I want to go. People walk in the door and they expect it all to just magically come together because they walked in and sat down. And, you know, oftentimes we have this want for something that we're just not willing to work to equal out to get us there. So, yeah, I think that that's part that it took me a long time to tell that part, not because I was dismissive of it. I just did not realize the value of even what I was doing at the time until now I, I get it. And so I make a point to say that because... That putting myself in the way thing was a real thing. I invested in my own money to get places where the label the label couldn't pay me to go because I wasn't part of staff. But I was like, I'll get there. I'll do it. I'll handle it. I'll figure it out, you know. And so that's probably one of the things that I do think that if someone could learn from, like, there's so much value that comes to just putting yourself in the way sometimes and being open. And so I feel like that was probably the bigger message for what that represented in my life. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
So let's shift gears for a bit and talk about the current state of the music industry. All right, current. I would love <laughs> to know your take on it. What do you think about music today, the industry today? I'm excited, and maybe I'm crazy, Jessica, <laughs> and I am a little crazy, but I really, I really, really mean this. Like, I'm so excited that we're at this juncture, this intersection of creativity. I, I feel like if you are driven and creative enough, the ideas will keep coming that will really help aid you throughout the journey. Like, I'm not, there's not one day that goes by that I'm sitting thinking, oh, oh what do we do now? Like, I'm like, I have over an overload of ideas and, and things that I think would help for this particular part or this particular part. But you have to be thinking constantly, I think, because right now things are still so fluid that if you're not preparing for change, you will miss because change is happening. Yeah. It's happening often. And so... Maybe the biggest thing that I love is that some of the rules that we were just guided by that shaped everything that we did, that they're out the window enough to challenge us to think, well, what are the rules we create for this day only, for this particular project only, for this amount of money only, and then because that could change tomorrow or next week. And to re-challenge yourself every time with that thought process, I think that it's sharpening everybody. So I'm excited about it. I really am. I'm really totally excited. I love seeing um, the artists that are able to really just speak to even how they see themselves. Like there's no conventional way to be an artist. You don't have to have certain things to be an artist. You just have to have what you already have in you. And that's the drive to do it, the gift to do it, the, the talent, the skill. And the fact that we can eliminate a right or wrong way to be that person, I, I love that. I, I live for that. So that's probably the most exciting part to me right now. Where do you see the music industry heading in the next decade? By the next decade, all this will change again. <laughs> I mean, probably even, I mean, really and truthfully, let's think about it. When music started, and let's just say, not even, we won't even go back to like the beginning because we won't go that far, but let's just go back a few decades and let's think about even the things, let's just go to the things that we've witnessed. I mean, I've witnessed, and I might be putting you in my age group, let me just say <laughs> the things I've witnessed. You know, I can remember my parents, like I still have eight tracks at the house. Ooh. Yeah, I have. Yes, I'm a girl, I'm old. <laughs> I've got eight tracks and I remember playing the eight tracks and guess what I remember when the cars moved from eight track to cassette because we had to get an adapter to put in the car to still play our eight tracks because <laughs> no one was going to people were upset we have all these eight tracks and now we have to buy cassettes cassettes were expensive and then lo and behold it happened again Cassettes switched to CDs. Got another adapter. Because now we got all these cassettes. Yes. Got to plug in your cassette so you can listen to the music because you got this big library. We don't have CDs. CDs cost too much. Well, now we got CDs. <laughs> then it happens again. Yeah. There's no CD player in any car. <laughs> Everything is on your phone. You got USB. If you have a phone or some other thing you can plug in, you're good. So I think that the fact that we can even look at the evolution of how, these, how this music was able to be consumed and discovered. So now we also have the internet and all these different, you know, your, you guys' platforms and Google, Spotify, and all these different things. And I just think that it speaks to one that there's millions of people consuming music. And there's still, to me, only a very few places that are 
aggregate <laughs> you know even and that, that's inclusive of labels too like we're, that part I feel like is shrinking more and more so as far as how we how we're discovering music how it's living um, I think that right now who knows what's going to happen after this streaming piece I can only imagine that maybe it's something that you know, I, I can't think in the next five years we should be living like the Jetsons. <laughs> so maybe you program it in your car and everything and it swoops down and picks you up, you know, on a, on a <laughs> landing pad and it's already been pre-programmed to go the distance of your trip. I mean, I have a vivid imagination so it's not hard for me to imagine what could be next. Yeah. I think that you know, maybe drones will follow us around and the music will be playing like you'll be able to. Here's the thing. Even in my hotel this morning, I noticed on the shower, it said, it was a sticker on the mirror that said, sing in the shower. And it was talking, in the underlying caption was talking about, you know, if you scan the, the, the thing, the sticker, a playlist from, playlist from around the world would pop up and you could hear the, just hear, that's crazy. But we're living in that time. And so I'm like, those are the things that I'm sitting there thinking. I'm looking at the sticker really like, this is where we are. Yeah. This is where we are. And how long we stay here, one can only imagine. But I do expect us to have a conversation in the near future where we go, girl, here we go again. And I think that that should be expected. Like, I think we should be expecting that as more and more technology is created, it's going to be refined. It's going to be redefined. And now all we have to do is reimagine. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I get hyped thinking about what could be next. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little plug-in, you know, right. the chip right here. I don't know. <laughs> so let's get back to your position with E1. Mm-hmm. So as part of your responsibilities, you're responsible for signing, recruiting talent. Mm-hmm. So how do you scout new talent? You know, I study a lot. I, I study, I'm on social media like, every, well, maybe not like everyone else, but I do spend a lot of time looking at a lot of different platforms that are known for, you know, having independent artists showcasing. And I'm always hitting several different hashtags just to try to see what's populating that I can watch. And we share music all day with each other through DMs, like, hey, look at this person. And it's not enough to share. Like, once we do that part... Once everyone comes back or says nothing, that tells you a lot. <laughs> but it's usually the case where, like, whoa, you know, you start getting those kind of responses. Like, okay, let's just keep watching. And so I think that that's a big part of it. We, we're out in the marketplace often doing events and going to concerts. And, you know, radio station always has artists that they get, that they know about that we wouldn't know. And I've had a lot of friends who are like, hey, have you checked out this person? It's like, like they're an amazing independent artist or whatever. So I think that that's probably a bigger way between our own studying and, and word of mouth. I feel like a lot of times what we're supposed to know, it finds its way to us. Yeah. I really do. I believe that if the artists that we're supposed to have are, are doing enough or doing what they're supposed to be doing, I don't know that I feel like we miss much as far as knowing, at least having an awareness that that artist is around and making music with the desire and intention to be an artist. So, How can artists best position themselves to get your attention? Consistency, I think, is a big part. Again, I think that what happens with just even the way, let's just even talk about Instagram. You know, I've been at panels, like we've been at panels before talking to artists, and, you know, it's like, okay, you're an artist. Well, let's pull up your Instagram. Beyond the how many followers you have, 
let's look at the post, the content. Yeah. This content does not say artist to me. So if you tell me, if that's what you want me to believe by looking at this, I probably won't and I'll probably keep going. Consistency says that every time you look at something or just a, a wide view of it, it says who I am. That's exactly what Instagram should be. It should be, you know, a pictorial way of saying who you are and showing us what your world and life is like. And I think that for a lot of artists, if they don't have anything that's music related, you can't convince me that music's what you're doing. Like we should, we should know that. We should be able to see that. You should be positioning people to respond to it in a way that you're engaging, so that you can, people will share. And that's how you get attention. That's how the things rise to the top. That's what algorithms do, you know. So I think all of that um, is probably what what I would say for sure. So let's say you're at the point where you have this like amazing artist. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about signing them. Mm -hmm. Before you sign them, what are some of the key traits that you look at to gauge their potential success? Well, if they're a veteran artist, we always look at history, for sure. You know, if they have a history, we want to see the history. What were they doing five years ago, three years ago, or the last time they released records? Like, what do those numbers look like? And I think from there, you take now into account, all, <laughs> there's plenty of other metrics. So what is their catalog doing? How many people are talking about them? What's being shared? What are their impressions looking like? And that's from YouTube, that's from Instagram, that's from Facebook, that's from Twitter. You know, how many followers do they have? Well, what does that mean? And how does that translate to what we think we can sell? And what, are they, what is the value? And what do we think we can sell? Well, how do we get to that point? I mean, there's a lot of formulas that goes in, into this with the metrics and the numbers. And then just good old gut. Sometimes gut will tell you some things <laughs> that numbers won't. Right. And that's why you have to really spend time making sure that the artists are not just numbers and product. You can get used to, you can really dig in when you try to get to know personality, try to have an understanding of who you are and what do you think you can do? Where do you think you are? How hard are you going to be willing to work? Are you going to be able to go the long distance and do promotional work a whole year, do it's a 30, 60 day window about all that you can have as far as tolerance or maybe family life or work schedule. So there is a lot of variables that go into <laughs> how we make that determination. But I think the most important part of it is not just the kind of metrics we use, but the fact that we go through such lengths to make sure that the evaluation process is not skimpy. Got it's it. a big part of it for, for sure. So let's shift gears again. Let's talk about navigating the music industry as a woman. What challenges have you faced as a woman working in the industry? Well, not the deep breath. That's twice. <laughs> That's a second deep breath. I, you know what? It's so interesting that I think that of everything that we do and everything that I've been a part of in the last few years, this is probably the part, the, the question that leads me to the most... Um, I don't know, it's, it's just an interesting thing, and it really is. And sometimes it's the elephant in the room, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes people know exactly, and I, I have people reach out to me often about it um, just because they know the temperament of other people, too, about women. And sometimes, for me, my, my position is a little different that, that that's a woman's thing. Like, I have a lot of female support. So it was probably one of those things where... You know, and I do hear those stories about women who are not supporting women. 
But that's that hasn't been my story, and that hasn't yeah. been our story. So I think that, well, and I love the fact that even at times when we've been in the opposite parts, that we can still come together yeah. and love each other as people, as yeah. women, and as professionals. Yeah. And so I think for, for me, even what I try to give out is not that I never want anyone to say that I was the kind of executive as a woman that slighted or shaded other women. I really hope that I can always be a lantern and a light and provide, you know, some kind of illumination on this path that other women are on and tell them the real and maybe even not just provide, you know, inspiration and advice, but some real tangible work and jobs. And so those are the things that, you know, we've been really working through and ever we can, we do it. Um, but I think that on the other side of that, <laughs> there is a real thing that we're constantly, I think, combating um, things that men feel about women and the women and the woman's role as it relates to um, just their it's just intelligence. I think that a lot of times I'm left thinking that, and I've had other people say to me that they will certainly say lack of respect. Um, and I would probably agree with that, that lack of respect is certainly present. And I know for some of what I've had to endure and that I still deal with to this day, that if it were some of my other colleagues, some of these questions would not even be a question. Some of these things that I'm approached having to deal with and sort through and explain or, or however I choose to deal with it, it would be non-existent if, it was a, if they were going to of a male executive. So I'm really clear about that. And I think that, you know, what I have resolved is that, and I just said this during Grammy Week to someone, as much as we all want respect, it's not a requirement for me to do my job. So I just do my job, regardless of who respects how I do it and what I choose to do. And I make sure that the, where it counts, because we do get caught up sometimes in yeah. real life, getting hung up on things with people that don't really matter. Like, my reasoning of thinking that I owe someone an explanation <laughs> about something that I'm doing that they don't have any benefit from, for one, nor any part of um, the relationship where it should make a difference. These are just people who are inserting themselves. And sometimes that happens, too. It's not always the the impact. It's the loud voices are just loud voices, yeah. and so I'm really careful that I don't let the loud voices shape a narrative for me that pulls me to a place that I don't need to be because that person's opinion only matters in the space where they're standing and has nothing to do with how I perform in the work that I'm doing here where I'm standing. And so I just had to grow to that. I had to grow to a place where. You know, your skin gets thick enough where you can still be kind to people, and I try to be respectful to people, even those that aren't respectful to me. Ultimately, I'm only responsible for my response. And so no matter how people treat me based on my gender or color, or, you know, at some point I've been, I've always been the underdog. I'm the youngest to some degree. You know, I'm a lot of different things. Um, I'm a single mother. You know, like that. I have a whole list of things. But I, I do think that regardless of what part they want to check off, that at the end of the day, as long as I know that I've done the best that I could, and I've tried, I try to really evaluate every day for what, it, for what came to me that day and how 
not just how people treated me, but really how I treated people. And did and, and that's that's all that I try to take inventory of. So let's talk about women that are looking to come into this industry, whether they're an artist or an aspiring executive. What advice would you give to those women looking to pursue a career in music? You know, I would say one of the things that, you again, we hear a lot of com- different conversations. I would definitely say that you don't have to compromise. I, I really hate hearing the stories of, you know, anyone who's had to deal with bias or prejudice or even any kind of violation against them to make them feel like that they had to do whatever to maneuver through this thing to get to the next phase or level. And I just want to encourage young women to know that you don't have to compromise who you are. And if you feel like that that's the only option and out, then that's probably not the right place. That you need to keep going until you get to a place where you don't have to do anything other than the, the things that you know are the right things to do. And I would say being um, being yourself. Don't try to take on the persona of someone else either in the next person. And I think sometimes people have a tendency to want to mimic and echo kind of what they think someone wants them to be, somebody wants to hear, somebody something else someone did. You can't replicate certain things. Some things you can take from them and make it your own, but the replication of being who you are truly at your core, we can see, you can sniff out the non-authentic people as soon as they open their mouths. You know, something that's not genuine, like you see that a mile away. And so whether that's being an executive or an artist, first of all, it's too hard to have longevity if you're not being true to who you are. You can't even keep up the front long enough to, to have the maximum potential that you can have by just, let's just deal with who you are as you are and figure out how to shape that person and respect that thing and make that part work. So I just think that that's it. And I would say also being open and flexible. Like, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, I grew up in a generation where even on my day off, my bosses called me. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't ignore them because I'm got an off day. Like this is like a new thing that you know. <laughs> and respectfully, like, and I'm probably the kind of supervisor where, not just that, but there's probably a list of things. And my son, you know, I have a 23 year old millennial son too. So <laughs> I listen to him. I ask him a lot of questions about the culture of his work. And even though, and I feel like he doesn't necessarily have the entitlement thing, but it's very interesting that I can study him. And apply that to what I feel like I have to manage with younger employees. And it's just a very different mindset. Some of the things, I see, I don't even think that I think are wrong. And I'm trying to make sure that, you know, I'm balancing my own expectation based on, well, you know what? You're probably right. You probably should do that. I, in turn, probably could have had someone that said to me, you should have better balance of life, too. Like, you should have, and maybe because I didn't, that also shaped just work, 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 drive, 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 you know, and I'm like, now I'm trying to even retrain the way I think so I can pass it along to them. And I feel like we've made some really big progress. I remember, you know, a time where I would be married to my phone and laptop and work all weekend and all every night and email and and I'm like, 
that's not good. And no matter how much you tell them they have balance, everyone's going to be always on edge thinking that they're missing something. They got to do something in life. I really work hard now to respect certain boundaries. And even though it's difficult, now I'm going to tell you, it's hard for me because I'm around the clock. Honey. I mean, I'm, I'm working around the clock, and I am, but I do think that there's, some, there's something that we are teaching that's not healthy if we don't give people room to have lives outside of work and right. to have relationships outside of work and to have even other working opportunities outside of the work. I think that one of the things that I definitely know that I express to them often in our office, I love the fact that we can do the work that we do, and I can also encourage them all to be have entrepreneurial pursuits. I believe that you have to have fulfillment somewhere, and everyone is not going to come in our office and this work is their purpose and passion. It's work. Yeah. Gina, it's work. Just here, it's work. But I do believe that you have to have fulfillment purpose and passion somewhere and if I can help you free you up to get it outside of there then perhaps you'll come in here and give it your best right and I just believe that that's got to be the approach that we take with you know with young women and for sure also with young men too but specifically women because we get a harder we get a harder responsibility of it being okay to be mothers and it being okay to want to be wives and it being okay like those are harder things that I hear that women have to deal with that men don't most of the time you know so I think that there is a great responsibility to make sure that we nurture women in a different way that they know that you can certainly express yourself and it not be that you're being overly emotional you can certainly create a boundary for yourself that doesn't mean that you're being you know, inconsolable or ridiculous. Like, you know, I think that the language, the semantics that is such a double standard, you know, of what we, what the action is and what's the word that's attached to the action says. And it really does take someone to come back behind that and say that's not accurate and it's not fair. Right. Now let's talk about another important role that you have, perhaps the most important, which is being a mother. How do you balance your career and motherhood? So my, my boys grew up in this with me. You know, um, when I started, my boys were probably like three and seven, you know, and they're 18 and 23 now. So and probably the biggest thing that I realized that I needed to do was just be honest. Like, it was just take the pressure off to try not to. Because what I did not want to do after one, one or two things, and, you know, I also had parents that were divorced. And so it was disappointing when you were promised that they were going to do something or show up somewhere and they had to send my sister in place or my aunt. <laughs> you know, and I was great to have them. It was really amazing to have such an extended village. But at the end of the day, you promised and you didn't deliver and I think I learned after a few times of trying to, it's so much harder to come behind a disappointment and try and explain what happened when it didn't happen. They're not hearing it. They're just disappointed children. So the honest parts of what I knew I could really do and where I could show up and how I could be present and available was where I made my line. You know, I did a, actually did a panel not too long ago and 
after we've done so many, you kind of know how the temperatures. Just here was the first one that I actually felt attacked for my position of, wow. and it was fine. Like it was just interesting to me because I think that sometimes we we get so passionate about our position that we don't see that it's okay that someone's different from you. That doesn't make what they did wrong. It just made, and I took the stance that I did what I felt was right for my house and for my career. And I talked to my children about that. And I was like, look, if it, and I tell them, I, I would tell them all the time, if any of this ever got to a place where it was too much for you and you needed me in a way more than I was giving you, let's talk about what that looks like because maybe I need to make some adjustments. Yeah. But I also said to them, that's also going to mean that we're going to all move back to mama's house and stay in my room <laughs> I grew up in. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay, when you going to be back? <laughs> Thursday, okay, we'll see you later. We're good, you know. And so I had to, I, and I also felt having boys, maybe it would have been different had I had girls. But I also knew that, if, or at least I tried to convince myself that I was really equipping them to be independent, strong, responsible like, you know, there's some level of, of course, mothering sons is, and I love all my boys that we're very emotionally connected and I give them affection and I give them affirmation, but I also give them a lot of responsibility and, and an expectation of who they would be, even if I was 2,000 miles away. And so I think that all of that has gotten us to this place now where I can look at them and I'm really proud of the young men that they are. And I don't know that it would have been different had our lives been different and the choices I made were different. But they are the most supportive. They're my definitely my, my biggest cheerleaders, <laughs> for sure. And what's good is that now we've kind of turned this corner and as they've grown up in this, they, they're looking to me for questions and we talk about music and we talk about they're keeping up and they're studying and they're sending me links. Mom, did you see this? And mom, you know this artist or did you know this person was from blah, 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 blah. Or, hey, I read this article. Have you heard about this before? And, you know, this company has now bought this company. Did you, were you aware of that? And they made this change. That's what our day-to-day text threads are looking like now, <laughs> you know. And they're, and my oldest son's like, okay, so what's next for you? Mom? Like, he's like, but that's that's great. And I think that I'm really excited that we have arrived to this place now together, that we could move, the three of us could move forward. You know, he's got a job. My 18-year-old is graduating in 45 days or so from <laughs> high school. So it's it's good. You survive it. <laughs> we do survive it, right? So I feel good that I can, that I can really say we have actually survived um, what this career has done for us in a positive way. And maybe some of the ways that were challenging, but we've made it through it. Yeah. To date, what is the greatest lesson you've learned in your career? The greatest lesson I would say would be that loss is not the end of the world. And I love that thought because, you know, we talk about losing from a standpoint of, just the nature of what artistry does and what's on the sales side and opportunities. Sometimes people want to do something and another artist is picked and that's looked at as a loss. And award season, as we just walked out of Grammys and some of these moments happen, that looks like a loss. And then, you know, you have artists that are constantly changing, executives move, move around and someone could perceive that as a loss. And 
we just talked about me being a single mom. I remember, you know, clearly and vividly going through my divorce and having to deal with that um, and having to still work through, even though life was happening with the death of my father and all these kind of things. So whether whatever kind of loss it is, I think that's one universal word that's applicable to things that are directly related to the work and the industry and also to life. Like, loss is going to happen. You will not win every time. You, someone's going to come in first, and it's usually only one person. Rarely do we hear about things being tied. And so how you deal with and handle and manage the disappointment surrounding loss, no matter what nature it is or what kind it is. I think my biggest lessons have come from how I respond to that. And learning, you know, myself and learning about other people. Because that works two ways. You can definitely learn how you manage your own feelings, no matter what the scenario is. But how other people respond to what you're doing and how you're feeling and, and how they approach where you are is also very telling, too. And I've learned a lot observing both <laughs> So I would say if I had to pick anything, one thing, I would say loss has been the teacher of some of the most important lessons that I've learned. If you could go back in time and speak to your younger self, <laughs> what advice would you give yourself? I would say to myself, if I could go back in time, that everything you want to be and however you see yourself, you will be. It's so funny. If I go going back in time, someone's asked me recently like other jobs I would do if I weren't doing music. I'm doing those jobs in in a secondary kind of way. They aren't the prominent jobs, but that's the work. I wanted to be a journalist. I write every day on Facebook. I, I'm writing more now. I write in my phone every day. So I think the things that we say we are, you don't need a title and a job to be who you are. It's who you are. I would dare say there's five more things that I identify myself as that no one else would call me that by title. And obviously, I'm not working in any company as that person, but it's who I am. And I, I think that understanding that principally has been one of the things that has even freed me in a way. And that's very empowering, too, to know, like, you know, who, who you are. You don't have to be... You don't have to cook at the Four Seasons to be a chef. You believe if you fix food at a certain level that satisfies your palate and the presentation, then you can very well say, "No, I am a cook. I am a sir. You know, I do these things." And so, I think that that's one of the things that I would say um, really clearly that no one has to hire you and employ you to be who you are. I would definitely tell myself that. <laughs> Powerful. <laughs> so last year, you were acknowledged by Billboard as one of the most powerful executives in the music industry. What do you believe are the keys to your success, which others could maybe apply to their own careers in music? I know this is going to sound funny. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I think my secret weapon is? What? Kindness. I can believe that. She got I, me for kindness. <laughs> I mean, I do. I really, and I'm almost even getting choked up thinking about it. I think that there's so much skill one can bring to all of our jobs, but we don't always bring kindness with us. Yeah. And that's the very thing that I knew would 
unfortunately keep me set apart. It's the thing that I tell artists all the time. People, talent will only take you so far. Yeah. Some of the best kept, well known, or just talented artists are not getting calls to show up at certain places because either they themselves or their people are not just good people. People don't want to be around people. It's too hard to do the work for people who are doing great things, who have incredible personalities, who are humble and who are appreciative. It's too hard to do work for those people than to go out on the limb and go out of your way to do hard to do the hard work with people who are just difficult. Who's signing up to do that? Nobody. But I also believe that that's the thing that also gets you the exceptions. Kindness is the thing that when they don't have room, they'll make room for you. Yeah. I've experienced that. We've experienced that in your other job. And kindness would be the thing that says, yeah, well, I'm usually going to be gone by this time, but if you come and I'll wait. Kindness is kind I could go on and on is what kindness has done for me. I think that's my superpower. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a great superpower to have yeah. that not a lot of people have. I can definitely attest to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Come get me cheated. <laughs> So, let's get a little bit personal, or a little more personal, because we've already gotten personal, right? So, what is your go-to song when you need to be motivated or encouraged? I think it depends on what's gotten me (laughs) to the place that needed motivated and encouraged. (laughs) I have a library of go-tos just here, now that's the wrong question. I mean, I think it really does depend on what I'm responding to would help yeah. me. Like, I don't know if I have, like, just one song that fits every kind of scenario. Let's say, okay, so let's give you a scenario. Okay, give me a scenario. <laughs> yes, let's make this fun. Give let's say you've had a really just stressful day at work. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've had, you know, just overall, just a bad day at work. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, I'm just I'm stressed out. What do you turn on? What song do you put on to get re-energized, to get motivated? All right, so let's just go for, like, the last week or two. <laughs> I would say, you know, in the last week or two, when I feel that feeling, there's probably two songs that I keep returning to over and over again. And that would be um, God Is by Ricky Dillard. And Ricky, that's a remake of a James Cleveland classic. And I just, that's been one of those songs that has probably helped pull me out of pretty, really bad places in the last (laughs) few weeks. And then I'm going to say, too, Dorinda Clark Cole has a song that is probably, if I could pick a go-to, like that's one of many others too, but that one, I revisit that song um, forever and, and it's called I'm Still Here and it's by the grace of God. So that's one of my definitely go-tos. I love that song. Cool. It's a great one. Cool. Yeah. So fun question. It's a fill in the blank. Okay? So, music made me blank. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good question. Let me see here. Music made me. Music has made me everything. Mm. Everything that I am is points back to music. I don't know that I could take any part of my life. There was never a part of my life that was without music. Even mm. before I knew this, what it was, I was. I mean, I have pictures of my mom, and I'm in her lap, 1972, when I was born. She's got headsets on, and I'm sitting in her lap while she's at the piano, and got this keyboard thing, and this 
big turntable thing and looking like a little baby DJ, you know. <laughs> um, and the same from a girl, I have, I have memories of sitting beside my grandmother on the piano bench or when my mother played at the church when I was a little girl, I sat behind her. There was a little chair up in the place where the piano was and I sat all the way to the corner in that little chair while she played. So I think that I didn't know it then how significant music was going to play in my life now. And honestly, I can't even imagine what my life would be like if it were not for music. And I don't know that I want to know. <laughs> I don't know that I want to know. But I will say that's probably the answer is that music's maybe everything. I mean, right now, just every part of life, you know, career, um, being able to be inspirational, being able to do, you know, having a career is one thing, but also the just what I've been able to attain and the places I've gotten to go, people who I've met, relationships that I've developed that are important to me, all of that was because of music, you know? And so music got me into doors and places that I never would have gone or known had I not had the music. So I would say, hands down, music's been my everything. So winding down to the last bit of our interview, what final advice do you have for aspiring music professionals and what final advice do you have for aspiring artists? Well, for aspiring artists, I would say just keep going. It doesn't take as much as you think. I think a lot of people think they have to spend such huge resources to get these records done. And I'm always concerned when the artist has spent so much money on production and they don't have any plan for what to do with it once, once it's created. So I would say pull back some on the production side. Most professional people can understand that it needs some more help and work, but maybe that's where they step in and offer recommendations for how to do it more cost-effectively. Or in some cases, maybe that's an investor, a manager, or whatever the relationship could be to help finance things so you're not depleted trying to be out here. It's a lot harder to work it out when you're relying on it, you know, for day-to-day expenses. So I would say that, I would just, and I would say for sure, keep going. Like, um, when, I, when I say it doesn't take as much as you think, I don't mean a watered-down product. I don't mean to minimize it in any way but what I do mean is that it may not be all the things associated with what artists look at you know they're looking at the Beyonce's of the world and thinking that that has to be their standard and I think there's a point of entry that's a little more you know grassroots level that everyone would understand like they're that's your starting place and it's okay and it's okay you can grow from anywhere yeah, so I would I would definitely say that. And then for executives, I would say that right now, the very thing that you could aspire to do, you know, it's about networking. It's about putting yourself in a way. It's about being present in places where you can be seen and you can meet people and people will know. A lot of times people don't get to have opportunities because no one knows you want to do it or try it. You know, being able to be clear and concise about what is your skill set? What do you, why, if I brought you in this room today, what could you do to improve my life? You know, what, <laughs> what do you do? What's the best of who you are? 
having a good tight pitch because we don't have all day to dig yes. through it, you know. <laughs> but I think knowing who you are, no matter if you're an executive or an artist, is very key. Most people don't really know who they are. You start asking them, well, what are you going to do? And they're like, I just want to sing. No, that's not good enough, you know. Or what do you want to do? I do everything. Like, that makes me frustrated. You can't do Pick one thing. Tell me what's the one key thing that you can do. Well, I can do everything. Okay, next. So, knowing who you are. And if you do a lot of things, that's great. Most of us do. Especially with creative people. We Think on my left, right, front, and back side of my brain. You can do a lot of things. But what people really want to know is that you are disciplined enough and can hone in on one or two things and do them really well and deliver with those things. So I would say be diligent, be relentless, and just keep going until you get to the goals that you set out for yourself. And that your goals have to be your own. It's very difficult being an executive, looking at what people are doing. Beyonce's budgets, I would assume, are 20 times greater than what we do. It would really be frustrating if I looked at that as a measurement for my success. But I don't. I look at the fact that I know this is what I have to work with and have I done the best with that. And I think that that's applicable to any role where it involves people. So again, that works for an executive. It also works for an artist. The artist that you know, you know good dog and well, you just spent your last $2,000 to get that record mastered. It, you won't get the opportunities like because Maybe you won't have custom clothes everywhere you go or, you know, whatever those things are. But just take what you have and just do the best with those and keep keep at it until the time comes for you to get more. Now, which all we should really be focused on, all of us, is progress. How do we get from where we are to the next step that we're supposed to be? And I believe that if we do that and we focus on purpose, that purpose will lead us to everywhere we're supposed to have. I do believe that. When we when you stay outside, when you stray outside of purpose, then you risk, you run the risk of walking down a path that you were never it was never intended for you or your gift to stand or be. But if you stay focused on the path of purpose, if you chase that, everything else will follow. Wow. Oh, lots of inspiration there. <laughs> this has been most inspiring for me, and I'm sure our listeners will definitely find a lot of gems in this interview. So thank, thank you. you so much for I joining enjoyed, us. I enjoyed you. Thank you. <laughs> Great questions. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, no problem. <laughs> Well, to our listeners, that is a wrap. Please don't forget to subscribe to Music Made Me, rate us on iTunes, and follow us on social media at TuneCore. Thanks for listening to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. The opinions expressed in this episode are those of the individuals talking and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of TuneCore. Check out TuneCore.com to help you distribute your music, register your original songs worldwide, and more. Connect with us on all social channels at TuneCore. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. 